Go ahead and have a seat. Good morning, South Hills Church. It's good to see you. Thanks for choosing to worship with us today. I want to say welcome to those of you who are watching online as well. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be looking at today. If you're not quite sure where Ephesians is in your Bible, it's actually more towards the end of your Bible. It's in the New Testament. If you start in the New Testament, you'll get the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then there's Acts. And then there's a number of letters that the Apostle Paul writes to different churches, different cities. And Ephesians is one of them. So that's kind of where you'll find it. So I invite you to find it there in your Bible. But of course, if you didn't bring a Bible, we printed the passage for you. So hopefully you grab one of those on your way in so you can follow with us. Um, Before we look at this passage, though, I do want to say again what Lisa said earlier, which is we want to say thank you uh, just for being so warm and to welcoming to our family. It has been encouraging. We've been here just a few months, and we feel really uh, cared for and supported. In fact, this past couple of weeks, uh, we've been attending various ministries. We've had a chance to um, also attend various life groups. And every single time we've attended a life group, we've just felt so encouraged and really felt cared for and supported. And so we just want to say thank you for that and for welcoming us um, here at South Hills Church. I also want to say thank you for wading into this whole topic of forgiveness because this isn't an easy subject to, to deal with and to work through, but we're really grateful that you're willing to step forward into that with us during this time. I also want to say thank you for being willing not only to uh, look at this this topic, but to say, how can I practice it in my life? Scripture tells us that we're not to just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. And I've been encouraged as I've interacted with a number of you, as you've said, hey, we're trying to take what God is teaching us and put it into practice in various ways in our life. And I love that. And by God's grace, may we continue to be a church that submits to God's word and his will in our life. So I just want to encourage you with that, and it's been encouraging for me in our time. Now, uh, today we're going to continue to talk about forgiveness, and this is an important topic because if you remember, as we started this series, you know that I uh, mentioned my prayer for me, for you, for our church, and the prayer is this, that God would do all that he needs to do in us so that he can do all that he wants to do through us. That God would do all that he needs to do in us so that he could do all that he wants to do through us. And that's a bit of a dangerous prayer because it's opening up our hearts and our lives to say, God, you need to do stuff in us. And to recognize that he needs to do some hard work. And part of that is forgiveness. Receiving the forgiveness that we need from God. But also to develop a habit of forgiving others. Because if we don't do that, we, we remain stuck. If we don't um, address forgiveness we remain spiritually stunted. So it's very important for us to say, God, we need you to do this heart work so that you can help us move forward and be the people that you're calling us to be. And so for the past four weeks, we've been doing this series on forgiveness. We started with how forgiveness is defined by God. Then we looked at how Jesus demonstrates forgiveness. We talked about how forgiveness is decided by us, uh, by you, you decide. And then today we're gonna be talking about how forgiveness is demanded continually. And this is a particularly challenging um, message because for many of us, when we think about forgiveness, it's easier for us at some level to look back and say, I'll forgive someone from my past because there's distance and time there. But it's a whole other experience to say, how am I going to forgive the person that's wronged me today? That I'm going to wake up the next day and see them again tomorrow. 
And then I go to work and I'll see them again the next day. Or they're, you know, just this continual need for forgiveness. How do we deal with that? Because I know for some of you here, you live, you work in an environment where tomorrow you're going to go to work and you know when you pass this certain person in the hallway, they're going to make a critical or demeaning comment. Some of you live in a home with someone who's very, very insensitive. And you've experienced criticism and comments that are hurtful and damaging. Some of you work in environments or, or maybe you're in a, a classroom environment at school that's very negative. And you know this week when you enter into that environment, you're going to be bombarded by negativity. And it's going to be very, very challenging to forgive those people who end up hurting you continually. So the question is, how do we do it? See, it's one thing to forgive someone in the past. There's distance there, perhaps. How do I do it on a daily basis, ongoing daily basis? That's where I think Ephesians chapter 4 can be so helpful for us. Because maybe for, for you, it's a familiar passage, but it's a passage that helps us understand how we can step forward and continue to forgive in light of what God has done for us. And so uh, I want to look at the passage, but before I do, let me give you a little bit of context on this passage. Um, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, the Apostle Paul spends uh, a large amount of time talking about our new relationship with Christ, what, what we've experienced now because of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And then chapters 4 through 6, he talks about how to live out our life practically in light of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. So now in chapter 4, where we're jumping in, it's more practical. And it's here where I'm going to give you a couple of verses that are right before the verses that we're going to look at today. But it's helpful to look at these together because this gives context to what he's talking about. In verse 22, it says this, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Um, and then in verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in the true righteousness and in true righteousness and holiness. So the Apostle Paul is saying, in light of your new relationship with God, who, what God has done through, through Jesus Christ, you're to now put off the old way of living where we were at the, at the center of our lives. We were at the throne and now live differently because Christ is at the center of our lives. He's in the throne. So put off the old and move forward with the new. And we have a new capacity, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, to live differently because of the resources that God has given to us. But the Apostle Paul still recognizes that Christians, even if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, need to be reminded that we have new tools and new resources available to us through Jesus Christ. Because even as Christians, what we sometimes tend to do when we face situations, when we run into conflict with people, is we go back to the old tools. We go back to the old habits. We go back to the old patterns that didn't work then and still don't work. And we miss the fact that God's given us new resources, a new way of living, and the capacity to live it out. I picture the, the, this picture in my mind of someone who comes to know Christ. And as, as a result of faith in Jesus Christ, God says, welcome to my kingdom. You're brought into the kingdom of God. And he says to you, I'm giving you a whole new set of resources. All of my resources are now available to you. But it's the person that then looks at that. I'm in God's kingdom. I have all these resources and says, 
I'm going to ignore all of that. This new reality that I've been brought into, I'm going to go back into my old tool shed and I'm going to live there in this kind of dilapidated tool shed with floors that are rotting out and things are falling apart. These old tools that don't work, that are broken and they never have worked, but I'm going to use those instead. When the Apostle Paul is saying, I want to, we're being called forward to live in this new life that God has offered to us. To put off the old, the old patterns, the old behaviors, to step into the new, new resources that God has made possible to us through Jesus Christ. So now, I'll also say this. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, and not everyone here is, the only set of tools you have are the old ones that don't work. That's the only set you have. And it's until you recognize that the resources that you have are insufficient to fix you, to resolve the issues in your relationships, until you recognize they're insufficient and say, I've got to abandon my resources and trust in God and the new resources that he's making available to me, you won't experience what we're talking about today. So the invitation is there for you to listen and to hear what God wants to offer to you through faith in Jesus Christ. For the rest of us who have placed our faith in Christ, it's a reminder to say, how do we step into the resources, the tools that God has called us to? In fact, in Ephesians chapter 25 to 32, there's five different uh, things that we're to put off and put on. And then Paul ties a spiritual principle to each and every one of them. I want to look at them because it will help us understand how do we step forward and continue to forgive in the relationships that we face on a daily basis. And so I, I want to invite you to look at Ephesians chapter 4 with me. I'm going to read the whole passage and then we'll come back and we'll look at it verse by verse. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, and that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption." Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander among every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Okay, so now, going back and looking at verse 25, we'll see the first thing that the Apostle Paul says to put off. He says this, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood that's telling lies, big lies, small lies, anything that's falsehood. And what we're to put on is truth, to speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So he's saying what we put off, falsehood, lying, like I said, and putting on truth. Now, the old way, the old system where we're at the center, not Christ, of our lives, we're at the center, that's where we put on falsehood. We say, okay, I've got to lie in order to protect myself. Or I need to lie in order to get what I want. Or I need to lie in order to get the approval of other people. And the Apostle Paul saying, you don't have to do that anymore. You're not at the center. It's not about protecting you and trying to get your approval, all those things. He's saying, speak the truth. 
because now I'm at the center. He's the God of truth, and he wants to reveal truth through us. And so now we can live differently. We can operate differently, which is by saying, you know, how can I honor Christ by speaking the truth in this circumstance? How can I, how can I speak the truth in love so that this person will be served, not about what I get? How can I open my life up to the right people, even the hard and dark parts of my life? How can I be truthful about those areas that I've been trying to hide, trying to cover up, trying to lie about? How can I be truthful to the right people so that I could experience healing in my life? See, this is what the Apostle Paul's saying. He says, you don't have to, uh, he says, put off of the, the falsehood, speak truthfully. And then it says this, for we are all members of one body. That is, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you're part of his body, you represent him. And so by speaking the truth, you also get to reflect and, re, and, re, and, and share the, the truth of Jesus Christ with others. Then, verse 26, he says this, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So this is the second thing that he's saying that we need to put off. And he's saying this, In your anger do not sin. Now notice what the Apostle Paul says here. He does not say anger is a sin. The Apostle Paul does not say anger is a sin. And I think that's important for some of us to hear. Because I think sometimes as Christians, we sometimes think, I can't be angry. And we say, I'm not angry. Oh, really? You're not angry, you know? We do it like that. I'm frustrated. I'm whatever you say, whatever your terms are. But as a Christian, you're like, I can't be angry. Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying, be angry. We need to hear that. Be angry. Now, why, why is he saying be angry? Because we can't help it. We can't help it. It's an emotional response to hurt in our life. When someone hurts you, when someone wrongs you, when someone steals your idea at work, when you're criticized, when you're ignored, what does it do? It hurts you, and you become angry. So the Apostle Paul, he's no psychologist. He's just saying, listen, that's a real emotion, anger. And you, it's okay to say, I've got anger. Where we, what, we, what we says we shouldn't do, though, is sin in our anger. It's okay to recognize I'm angry, but when anger takes control of you, then you end up saying things you wish you didn't say, doing things you wish you didn't do, and deciding things you wish you could undecide. Have you ever been there before? Oh, too many times. Haven't we all been there before? Too many times where our anger takes control and we end up saying things we wish we didn't say, doing things we wish we didn't do, and, and, um, and deciding things we wish we, didn't, we hadn't done. So he is simply saying, listen, it is okay to be angry but in your anger, um, do not sin. And so then the question is, well, how do I do that? This is a, tricky to, be, to recognize this is a real emotion. I've been hurt, and, it, and the response is anger. And how do I not let it have control over me where I end up sinning? Well, we're going to get there. But first, let me just talk for a moment about how we, ways that we sin in our anger. There's two different ways that we tend to do it. One, we tend to blow up. That is, when you've been hurt and you become angry, you blow up. That is, you attack the people in front of you. And sometimes when you're in your anger, you erupt and you attack the people who maybe didn't even hurt you, but everyone else around you. 
Have you ever been there before? We just kind of, it's just like a grenade just explodes and everyone gets shrapnel. You know what I mean? That's just how it all goes. It's just, that's what we do when we, sometimes when we're, when we're sinned against, we've been wronged, we're hurt, we blow up and we attack and we end up hurting the people around us. And then secondly, we can clam up. Clam up is simply saying, I'm going to take my anger and I'm going to try to stuff it down. Question is, does that make the anger go away? No, we would like it to. But it doesn't go away. Stuffing it down, clamming it, putting it tight, trying to manage it, cover it. It, it. it has a tendency of coming back up and out, doesn't it? It has a way of leaking out. So we end up, can be uh, very, in subtle ways, can be very uh, damaging in our relationships where we're cynical, where we're critical, where we withdraw from relationship. We're like, we're kind of like quietly punishing the people around us. That's what happens when we try to, we clam up with our anger. Now, my guess is one of you, you have one way or that you're more tend to go towards as when you're angry. You either blow up or you clam up, but we're capable of both, aren't we? Um, but there's, a, there's maybe a tendency there. So this is what we, what we do, and this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Listen, in your anger, do not sin. Don't blow up. Don't clam up. The question is, so what do we do? How do we do differently? How can we respond differently? There is a right way. And this is where I think we can be helped in a number of different, um, in a number of different ways. The first way, how can we respond differently? Um, in his book, Stride Towards Freedom, the Montgomery story, Martin Luther King Jr. lays out six different principles for nonviolence. And one of the principles stands out to me because one of the principles of nonviolence is this, that nonviolence um, seeks to defeat injustice and not the person. Let me say that again. One of the principles that he lays out is that nonviolence seeks to defeat injustice and not the person. Said a different way. He's, the principle is this, that we are aggressive towards the problem and not the person. That we're aggressive towards the problem and not the person. And this is actually a, an idea that comes from Jesus. Jesus modeled this, didn't he? In fact, what's our greatest problem as people? Sin. How does he deal with it? He goes after it. He goes after sin. And so much so that he sent his son, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that people could be healed and saved. He went after the problem because he wants to help and heal people. This is the idea. So how do we address the problem and not attack the person? Well, first of all, it means you don't blow up on them. You aren't critical of them. You aren't cynical towards them. And there's ways of talking to people that express your anger and addresses the problem. You can simply say something like this to somebody, and it They'll, they'll feel it. They'll understand by just simply saying, I am very angry right now. And I want to address this problem. Do you have time to talk? Do you hear that? You say that to someone, they're like, okay, I hear what you're saying. You didn't have to yell. You didn't have to scream. You don't have to be, attack them. But you can say, I'm very angry right now. I want to address this problem. Can we talk? You can even solicit their help. This is another way. I need your help right now. I'm really ticked off. I'm angry. And if we don't address this problem, I'm afraid it's going to hurt you or hurt my relationship with you, so can we talk? Do you hear the difference there? How many relationships could be helped if we address the problem instead of attacking the person? And invite them in to saying, how can we move forward 
in this relationship by addressing this hurt. This would be very, very helpful for us. So there's a right way of dealing with our anger, not in, by blowing up or clamming up, but there's also a right time to do it, which is the next part of this verse. So there's the right way. In your anger, do not sin. The right time, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. So he's now talking about timing. The right way, also the right time. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. He's saying, deal with your anger in a timely way. Now, there's some debate as to whether the Apostle Paul is talking about this being figurative or literal. Is he talking literally or is he talking figuratively? If it's literal, then he's saying, hey, you can be angry all day long, but as soon as the sun goes down, you can't be angry. That would be the literal interpretation. The figurative interpretation is this, that he's simply saying, address your anger quickly. Deal with it quickly. Now, I think he's talking figuratively. He's saying, deal with your anger in a timely way. But I also think you can take it literally, and it would be very helpful for you as well. That you say, I'm not going to let the day go by, and I'm going to, when I'm nursing this, this anger in my life. I think that could be very helpful. And the reason why, again, I think it's figurative and not literal is because if you live in certain areas of northern Alaska, you could stay angry a long time. There might be months that the sun doesn't go down on your anger. You're like, okay, I've got free reign. I can be as angry as I want. So I don't think he's being literal, saying this literally, although I think we can apply it in a way that would be helpful to our marriages, helpful in our relationships. But I think he's figuratively, he's just simply making the point that we need to deal with it in a timely way. Now, what happens if we don't address anger in a timely way? It festers. It grows. And the sin potential in our life goes high, doesn't it? If we don't address anger in a timely way, it begins to boil. And it begins to, begins to go up. And the sin potential in our life goes out the roof. So he's simply saying, listen, deal with it. Because if you don't deal with your anger, your bitterness, all of that, it will come out. And it will damage you. It will damage your relationships. It will damage the church if we don't deal with it in a timely way. But what happens for many of us is we, we don't deal with it in a timely way. The sun sets, and then another day the sun sets, and then it's a week that's gone by, two weeks that God's gone by. It's months, it's years, and over the course of years, do you know what happens? The scenery in our life begins to change, and the people in our life begin to change that are around us. But you know what? The hurt, the anger hasn't left us. And so now we're now with a whole new set of people in a whole new circumstance and situation, and we're finding ourselves angry, and we don't know why. We're taking it out on the people in our lives, in our family, in our homes, in our relationships. We don't know why because we don't even know where the source was. It was way back there, and we didn't address it. I think for so many Christians, there's, there's many, many Christians who just think, hey, if I can just, you know, get distance— and some time from this hurt, from this injury, from this, this, these, this pain in my life that will go away. That is, if I can just, you know, be, this, this woman could be out of my life, or this guy could be out of my life, or this circumstance at work would be gone, and just give me enough time, I'll be okay. But you know what that's like? That's like being a person who's been in a car accident, and they're wounded badly. And when the paramedics come, they say to the paramedics, hey, just move me away from this accident site 
and give me some time and I'll be okay. The paramedic would look at that person and say, no, you won't. Because you can get distance from this accident site, but you're still injured. You're still wounded. And just distance and time isn't going to solve your issue. And yet for so many of us, we think, let me just get away from this relationship. Give me, give me some time. I'll be fine. It'll be okay. And what we end up doing is taking all the hurt, all the unresolved anger, all that bitterness with us into a new set of relationships and new circumstances, and it continues to impact it. The Apostle Paul says, listen, deal with your anger in the right way, deal with it in the right time, and if we don't, there's a real risk to it, and that's what we see in verse 27. And do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. This is the risk. If we don't deal with anger, there's unresolved forgiveness. We give the devil a foothold. The question is, what does that mean? I don't know exactly what it means, but I know it's not good. What strikes me in this verse is this word right here, do not give. This is what strikes me in this verse, this idea of give. That is, if we have unresolved anger, unresolved forgiveness, we are giving the enemy a foothold in our life. It's not that the enemy is overtaking us. We're inviting him in. We're saying, oh, I've, I'm going to hold on to my anger. I'm going to hold on to this resentment. I'm going to hold on to unforgiveness. And as in, we, in so doing, we're saying, hey, Satan, come on in. I've got a guest room for you here in my heart. It's all set up, all prepared. Go ahead and make this your base of operations. And then we wonder, why is our unresolved anger and hurt and unforgiveness impacting our lives so negatively? Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? This is the real risk. This is the real warning that the Apostle Paul gives to us. Now, if that doesn't scare us into like dealing with anger and resolving unforgiveness in our life, I don't know what will. Then verse 28 says this, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So he says, don't steal any longer, but then give. And you might be thinking to yourself, okay, this is good. I can, this verse is all right for me because I'm, I'm currently not shoplifting. I haven't stolen any cars recently. I'm doing okay. Now, if you are, please stop. I recommend that. But you're saying, I'm not stealing. This is good. I am this next verse. But let me just say this, okay? There is lots of ways that we can steal without actually taking stuff. There's different ways we can live our lives. There's different orientations. There's an orientation of life in which we say, what can I get? And there's an orientation of life of what can I give? And the old way of living, when we're at the center, not Christ, the old pattern, the old self is all about what can I take? What can I get? And we approach relationships. What can I get out of this relationship? What can I get out of this situation? But now with Christ at the center, we can operate in a new way. We can say, what can I give to this person? What can I bring to this circumstance that blesses them and honors Christ? This is a whole new way of operating and living, and it's not stealing, taking things from somebody, their dignity or, their, their, or who they are, but instead saying, how can I then bring life to those people who are around me? 
Then, verse 29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The word unwholesome here means rotten. He's saying, don't let rotten words come out of your mouth. Why does he need to tell us that? Because when we get angry, what do we tend to do? We tend to have rotten things come out of our mouth that we wish somehow we could bring back, don't we? So he's saying live differently now and again because of your new relationship with God. The new resources that he's given to you, don't speak negatively. Don't bring rotten words and wholesome words out, but respond differently. Build people up. Encourage others with your words. And this is important for us to hear because words can be so damaging. If we have unresolved anger in our lives, if we have forgiveness that we are not dealing with, it does come out in one way or the other. Our actions, our words, our decisions. He's simply saying, don't let those rotten things come out of your mouth because it's damaging. How many marriages have been damaged because one, someone in their anger has said, I wish I never married you. How many marriage relationships have been damaged because in anger someone said, you disgust me. There's a scar there. There's wounding there. How many families, relationships where the kids have heard, how how damaging is it if a kid hears, I wish I never had a daughter. Or you never seem to get it right. Or you drain me. You're just like your father. What a heavy burden to put on a child. And yet we do it in our anger. Those words fly. There's deep wounds. There's damage that's done. The Apostle Paul says, listen, don't let that rotten stuff come out. Deal with, again, this is part of the argument, deal with anger in the right way, in the right time, recognizing there's a real risk and live differently. And it will impact how we function, what we say in relationships, how we treat people in relationships. But this is all then, again, based on this relationship we have with Jesus Christ, which he goes on to say, listen, this, he goes on in verse 30 to say this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. That is, the Holy Spirit indwells our lives. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you, comes into your life. This is fantastic news. There's two things here. One, it tells us that God is personal because he, he can be grieved. It also helps us understand that we have a new capacity, new power, because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. At the same time, we can grieve the Holy Spirit by saying, I'm going to go back to the old toolbox, pull out the tools that don't work, and keep trying to hammer. I'm going to go back to the old habits instead of saying, God, I need you to form new habits in my life that bless people. And the idea of grieving the Holy Spirit of God is, 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 you know, simply kind of coming back to this recognition that God is with us. And perhaps you've had someone say it to you at some point in your life, would you talk that way in front of your mother? And you'd say, no, it would grieve my mom if she heard me talk this way. 
It's the same thing. God is with us. He's there. He's part of our life. He dwells us. When we speak in a certain way, we act in a certain way, it grieves him. When we go back to the old system, the old pattern, instead of saying, God, I'm going to step forward with the resources that you have given to us. Then verse uh, 31, it says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. This is a long list, but it starts with bitterness. Bitterness is that... um, kind of that, that subterranean level, this, this hurt, this anger. It's a, a bitterness that grows deep within our lives. And when we don't deal with the bitterness and the, the unresolved anger and unresolved forgiveness, what happens is that bitterness begins to bubble out and it bubbles out into rage, anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice. It comes out. And I just, I, I mentioned this, this next piece, this idea of rage and anger, um, this is kind of an ex- explosive expression. Then there's the attacking, which is brawling and slander with our words. Again, we talked about that. But I, 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 I know that in some translations, the word rage is, is, is translated wrath. And perhaps your translation, that word is there. And I remember uh, hearing Timothy Keller one time talk about kind of the roots of that word wrath in, in, in a context like this. And I just thought it was so, it stuck with me. And the idea is this, that the word wrath comes from the Anglo-Saxon word, um, or it's related to the Anglo-Saxon word for wreath. You're saying, well, what does wrath have to do with wreath? Well, a wreath, if you know, it's, it's something that's twisted together. It's distorting. It's bending the shape into, into a, a wreath. And, and, and the point is this, the idea is this, that wrath um, is anger. And if it's unresolved, what it does, it begins to twist us. It begins to bend. It begins to distort um, us from the inside out. And so this is that, that concept there. But then there's, it goes further. The word wrath is also related to the word wreath, which is also related to the word wraith. Now, wraith is not a word that you use very often, but wraith is a word that's used, a term that's used for a ghost. And a ghost, a wraith, as, as of course legend would say, is a, a ghost that's been hurt in the past. And because of the hurt in the past, they can't move forward. They're stuck, being haunted, reliving, restless in the old, this old thing, the circumstance, the situation that has hurt them. Now, again, I, I'm not here to talk about ghosts, but I think this concept, this idea can really be true in our lives. Where wrath, which is anger that's uncontrolled, it distorts us and we become haunted by our past. We can't move forward. There's this restlessness. And for some of you, you know exactly what that's like. For some of you, you feel stuck. You can't move forward. You are haunted by your past. You are, you know, restless and, and, and feeling where you're stuck with the, in, the, in the spot that you're in. And so you understand what that feels like. Or you know someone who are like, man, they are so stuck in the past. The pain, the hurt that's been caused to them, it was real and it's damaged them, but they are unable to move forward. They're stuck, they're haunted by that. This is what he's saying. So the question is, how do we, how do we move forward? If, if he's saying, this is what we need to get rid of, how do we then deal with it? What are we supposed to put on to deal with this so that we can move forward? This is what it say, he says in verse 32. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the answer that Paul gives. And there's three steps that I want you to see because you're saying, okay, very difficult for me to get to this concept of forgiving. He gives three steps that helps us get there so that we can move forward, so that we can live differently. The first thing he says is be kind. Be kind. 
There are people in your life that have hurt you, wronged you. Tomorrow you're going to face them. The next day you'll see them in your neighborhood. You'll run into them at work. Paul says, start by being kind. This is a decision that you have to make. A choice that you make in your relationship. And this could mean lots of different things. It could simply mean you wave at them. It could simply mean you smile at them. It could also mean that you look for ways to compliment them. Maybe even the person that's constantly critical of you, you compliment them. You choose to be kind. It's choosing to look for a way to be kind to your neighbor that you cannot stand. You look for a way to serve them. See, the Apostle Paul says, listen, you may struggle with this whole forgiveness thing and and knowing what to do, but we can choose to be kind. We can choose to show love through our kindness. And when we start to show kindness to people, it opens up the door for compassion, which is step two. The second thing he says, and show compassion. And if you're choosing to be kind, what, what can happen is it can open the door for us to see people as more than one dimensional. And when someone hurts us, we see them one dimensionally. They're arrogant. They're critical. And they just, we just see them is this one, one, one dimensionally. We choose to be kind. It can open up the door for us to have a compassion and we begin to see that they're more complex than the one dimensional way that we see them now. That they have a story, they have a background, that they have certain complexities in their life. And it, again, not excusing their behavior, but it helps you say, oh, I can understand them a little bit better. Understand perhaps where they're coming from. And as you're kind, it opens up your heart to be compassionate And as you're kind, it might open up their hearts to understand and become more compassionate as well. So it's then be kind, be compassionate, then forgiving each other. Forgiving each other. Then there's that step. We forgive. We're choosing to forgive. And what I want you to see is why we forgive. Because just as in Christ, God forgave you. That's the last part of this verse. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. And I want you to notice these two words here. We're we're to be forgiving That is an ongoing decision to continue to be forgiving. Why? Because God what? Forgave. This is an act, an event, something that has happened once and for all. We're to continually to forgive. Why? Because we live in a constant state of forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, God looks down. He sees all all our whole life. He sees our past sin, our present sin, our future sin. But through Jesus Christ, he forgives all of it. He forgave it all. So we can now move forward knowing that we live in a constant state of forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. All of our past, our present, and our future forgiven, canceled, done. The debt has been paid. Isn't that amazing? You may say, well, why do we have to confess our sins? Well, we confess our sins so that we can be restored to fellowship with God. But the forgiveness is there. God did it through Jesus Christ once and for all. We live in a constant state of forgiveness. And if we live in a constant state of forgiveness, he's just simply saying, will you continually forgive those that you run into on a daily basis? Because we live all the way forgiven. We need to choose to forgive those. Now you may be saying, that's going to be hard, and I get it. But we need to come back to the source, the reason why the Apostle Paul says we can do it, because God has forgiven all of our sins. 
And so for you, the next morning when you wake up, you may have to start by simply saying, God, thank you for giving all of my sins, that I live in a constant state of forgiveness with you. So now help me when I see that person at work today to be forgiving towards them. You may have to wake up the very next morning and say, God, thank you very much for forgiving me for all my sins, that I live in a constant state of forgiveness with you. So help me in my home to be forgiving to this person. The very next morning, you'll get to wake up again. Say, God, thank you very much that I live in a constant state of forgiveness. So today, when I face this classmate at school who's constantly bullying me that I want to avoid, that just is so hard for me to, to be around, God, help me to be forgiving. Then what happens the next day? You get the idea, right? The Apostle Paul says, listen, you've been forgiven an enormous debt, completely paid, canceled. Therefore, we can continue to forgive others because of what God has done for us. Let's take a moment and let's thank him for his forgiveness and the strength to forgive others on a daily basis. Let's pray this together. God, we do want to stop and say thank you for your, your grace and your mercy, your love, that you saw us and didn't attack us. Instead, you addressed our deepest need, which was forgiveness for our sins. And you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to meet that need in our lives for that forgiveness, to have our penalty paid. And you paid for it by, through your life, through, by your body and through the blood of Christ. And so, Lord, because of you, all that you have done for us, help us to be people who live in a, with a new way of operating, a new lens of looking at relationships. Because you're at the center of our lives, Lord, we can live differently. And we ask that you would empower us to love people, to look at people the way that you see people, and to forgive those who wrong us. Thank you, God, for continuing to walk with us, to be with us every step of the way. We thank you, God, in your name. Amen.